Okay, find uh, with me, if you will, uh, the 23rd chapter of the book of Job. And we're going to read verses 12 and 13 of the 23rd chapter of the book of Job. Um, in verse 12, uh, it's written, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back what he desires that he does? Let's pray. Father God, I adore you, and I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come and to share this. Father, I pray, Lord, that I'm going to do it rightly, Lord, that I have prayed and meditated and studied and, and, and sweated and wept over this, Father God. I pray, Lord, that the due diligence of the heart has been done now, Father God, not because I can bring any validity to the word, Father, because I am so dense and I will misunderstand what you say, Father, and I will say things that are not understandable to others, Father. So I pray, God, that as I as I pray and I and as, as I preach this, Father God, and as those, uh, my family here, Father, gathered around will pray for me as I do this, Lord, that I will make a divine sense of this, Father, that I will say things that are not within my own understanding, Father, that the Holy Spirit will rain down upon me, Father God, and be such an unction upon my life that He will preach for me and through me, God, because that's what I want. That's all every preacher wants, Father God. It's not mindless, Father. We've, I've done the intellectual work, Father, but, but only through your power, Lord, can intellectual work turn into, into spiritual heart work, Father. So I pray for that now, God. I pray for myself, but I also pray for those who hear and those who would pray for me and those who would listen, Father. I pray, Father God, for each and every one of us that we are submitted to this today. It is a simple thing, Father God, that we will talk about, but it's something, Father, that most of us don't manage to do. I know God so much in my life I haven't managed to do this. So I pray for this now, Father God, and I pray, God, that that with every single sermon, Father God, whether it's me or, or Kyle or Brian or any of us, Father God, who preach, that we chip away, Father God, at the hard, hard uh, shells on our own hearts, Father God, and that we are inching this church further along toward revival, Father. Um, there's, a, there's a faithfulness here, Father, in, in, the, in, in us, Father. But, Lord, there's so much room for growth, God. I pray, Lord, now that the growth would be, Father God, a supernatural growth, not just because, Father God, we have become more faithful, but because we have become more faithful, Father God, you now do supernatural things to grow this church. That it wouldn't be a matter of program or idea, Father God, but it would be a matter of the will and purpose of God expressed through us. I pray for that now, Father God. And I ask you, God, please continue to bless us, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay, so we have a, a controversial figure in some ways, Job. And, and the reason why I call, say that's controversial is because Job does suffer a great deal. And I'm going to show you something about Job's suffering that I can sort of encapsulate into one statement right now. And that is that oftentimes when believers suffer, it can become um, an opportunity for our own self-righteousness. So let's, let's look. Now, what I'm going to say is this, and this is just written in your notes. We do know that Job deserves none of these conditions in which he finds himself. Job suffers about as much as a regular person can suffer. And I would add that for the regular people in this room. All of us and none of us are uh, without the threat of at any moment having everything in our lives that we count on as important stripped away. 
And I've said this in the past, I don't want to just repeat myself, but it is, I guess, a part of the wisdom that comes from having occupied my position for, uh, for decades now. And that is that every one of us can be, is, is really moments away from being dropped to our knees. Phone call. Diagnosis. Piece of news we never expected to come. And I think it's worse now than ever. And I will say that simply because of this. And that is because we are not as strong as those who've come before us. We're just not. Um, those of us who are of, of retirement age, do you think you're as strong as your mom was or your dad? There's some strong folks in this room, but I bet most of you are going to say the, the opposite, right? Just not as strong, not as hardy. Um, people who lived through world wars and a Great Depression. There was a toughness. In many ways, most of us in this room, even though a significant portion of us grew up very poor, are still products of, of a much easier America than the first 50 years of the 20th century produced, right? Much easier America. We may have been born in that first 50 years, but we have grown of age in a time in which it was easier to make money. It was easier to do all sorts of things. Time of modern convenience. I remember dealing with my own parents and, and, and senior adults all over the place during Hurricane Katrina when we had no lights. You know what? We learned to manage real fast. Most of my senior adults never learned to manage. Some of those late folks grew up before TVA brought electric power. But they become so used to the idea that when you flip the switch, the lights came on. So used to it. We're just not as hardy as we were before. That's all of us, everyone of every generation in this room. We're not as hardy. We can't deal with as much as they could. So let's look at this suffering here for just a second after that introduction. We know that Job didn't deserve it. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Um, I think we should all be jealous of Job, that that would be maybe the introduction that, that God would offer for us. Blameless and upright, fears God, turns away from evil. But by all indications, what we might call within the confines of Scripture a good man, that's a good man. And, and I think the Bible supports it. Now look, first off, the description cannot mean that Job is sinless. Remember, context is everything in the Bible, Right? So many false assumptions are arrived at through the Scripture because somebody reads one verse outside of context and assumes that that verse lords over everything else. Everything, even the words of Jesus that directly came out of His mouth, are still subject to the context of the Bible. Simply put, because all the Bible is the Word of God. It's all God-breathed and useful. So we have to understand everything that God says, even this wonderful statement about Job in its context. Well, we know the context is set pretty much by Romans 3.23, right? Or all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All men are sinners. It's a retroactive statement. It's uttered after Job, but it includes Job because all men means all men, everybody. All human beings have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But now the writer does intend to convey something. And I want to get there, and I think it's a really vital point that's not of the three that I need to make to your hearts, but you need this one to understand. The fact is that Job was living in a manner full of honor and integrity. That's just indisputable. He said, Job's a good guy. He's the kind of person that we should all respect. Respect's a good thing. You know, even though we understand the depth of our own sin, we, we, we talk about ideas like, like total depravity or the debauchery of man. The idea that we are all hopeless, helpless sinners without the grace and mercy, the blood of Jesus. Without that. But at the same time, um, we are capable of behaving in ways that elicit respect. We are not animals. The words used in Hebrew are tom and yashar, and they convey the sense that Job is the kind... This is the way I summarize it best. Job's the kind of follower of God. And I mean within the right context. Our context would be the church member. The kind of church member, deacon, sister, or leader who should have their way of life emulated. Once again, not a biblically contrary idea, but in Psalms 37, 37... David writes, mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. Mark them. Pick out the blameless, find the upright, know who they are. Within this body of believers, small as it may be, you better know who those who are really pursuing God are. And follow them. Because I'll tell you what, even within a body of believers this size, there can be people who are not going God's way, and we can mistakenly follow them. Mark them. Make sure you know who you're supposed to follow. They're not perfect men, brother buddy. They're not. But they are men who are doing everything they can to be after the heart of God. They're not perfect women. They're not. But they are pursuing God with all their might. Um, As in every situation which we deal with the hearts and minds of people, if you're a young woman in this room today and you're trying to pick a mate for life, or a young man in this room today trying to pick a mate for life, it's not accomplishment that matters, it's trajectory. Are they headed in the direction of the cross? Because if they are, go with them. If they're not, dump them. Simple as that. If they're not trying to be in Christ everything they can possibly be, then you have no business being with them. And I'll be honest, if you're not trying to be in Christ everything you can possibly be, then nobody's got any business being with you. And don't let me find out about it because I'll go tell them. You know, no. They're about themselves. So, so for Job, trajectory was clear. And, and in fact, this idea for there is... For there is a future for the man of peace. So this idea of blamelessness and uprightness in Job had produced something that stands apart in the world and that is being a man of peace. I'm going to be blunt with you. Right now, being a man or a woman of peace ought to make you really stand out. But can you imagine in the time of Job? The days of Genesis and Exodus, to be honest with you. You want to historically place this book? Sometime in Genesis, probably. Barbaric times. Wicked and sinful times. And Job Job distinguishes himself by not being like everyone else. He had rejected the world. Job was a man of peace. 
However, his life and his health, his wealth and his family were needed by God. Now that's something that we have to embrace today. I think it's going to be very difficult. And that, I know it's always been difficult for me and I think it's been difficult for everyone I've counseled. And that is that the, the conduct or the quality of your life is enslaved to the purposes of God. God's goal is not to make you happy. God's goal ultimately is to satisfy His will. If that includes your happiness, and I mean happiness devoid of the type of of deep and hard suffering that Job experiences, then that's fine. But there are times and there are people, and it could very well be us, in which we are called to suffer in a way that is indicative of the power of God. But is not going to lead to times of great happiness for us. It's going to lead to times of great challenge. Like I said, nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to hear that God's goal is for you to be happy and your life to be uneventful. I just don't know anybody who's managed to do that. Virtually everybody I know under the weight of the cross has had huge challenges. And this Beverly more heartache than they know what to do with. Or that they can, to be honest with you, understand. Now what I want to do is take that a little further and using the idea of Job, see exactly what God can say to us through that. For Job, everything he was, everything he'd accomplished, everything he'd built with his hands, everything he'd worked for, family, everything, taken away in an instant. Health, gone, Brother Chris. Destroyed. Then he was left looking for purpose. I think there are three lessons in this. I'm going to show you. One of them is within the pages of the book of Job, but not directly within the two verses that we're concentrating on. I've got to show you the first one. The first one is this. Job was a sinner just like everyone else in need of a Savior. We don't need to... See, here's where self-righteousness comes into it. We can read into it that Job deserved nothing bad and all these bad things have happened to him. And then we can say those tragically misstated words. That bad things happen to good people. Nothing could be biblically more untrue. If you believe the testimony of the scripture. That all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are now therefore how many good people? Zero. None. Now it's not just that you've got to be beat over the head with that. That we've got to embrace that idea within the doctrine. Because it is contrary to what we think. Because we, we, we're okay understanding that we want, but we need a Savior. Most of us aren't okay understanding just how deep the need of the Savior is. Just how much we really need Him. Because we really are that bad. Because most of us just don't think of ourselves in terms like that. that some fog comes over us and we forget what we were like at 16. We think we were good. It's a destructive idea because it leads to self-righteousness. All of a sudden, I just don't deserve this. I deserve better from God. That's where Job winds up, does But Now let's look. This man did not understand his place in history. He just didn't. 
That's clear. Job is living out Scripture right in front of us, right? He's, all these tragedies are happening. He sits down with his friends for this extended period of time and nobody says anything. And then when they start to talk, what do they do? They do like I would do. They just rattle on nervously. They've got nothing real to say other than to blame Job. To make sure Job knows that there's got to be something he did to cause this. A very superstitious way of looking at suffering. But it's the only format with which they had. Job didn't understand that he was living out Scripture in the very same way that if you and I are living out the will of God that is going to touch the lives of others, we're not going to get it. If your disease or your loss or your tragedy or whatever is used as an example to wage war against sin in the lives of others, you're not going to realize that you're on the front lines of that. All you know is you're hurt. All you know is you're heartbroken. All you know is you, you lost somebody that you dearly loved. All you know is that things didn't turn out the way they were supposed to turn out. That's all you know. You don't get it. I don't blame you for not getting it. I'm not going to get it either. And Job certainly didn't get it. From this perspective, we understand what was going on with Job. But now he arrives at the wrong conclusion, doesn't he? Job 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Listen to me. Men and women of God in this room. We can never grow as long as we are righteous in our own eyes. Your life in Christ will absolutely fail as long as you are righteous in your own eyes. Job believed what he should not have believed. And to be honest with you, it doomed Job. You are not righteous in your own eyes. I'll tell you what, something else. If you are lost today and you believe that there's some way in which you can achieve righteousness in God by yourself, you are more doomed than you know. You will never find Christ that way. It is only by embracing the idea that we are unrighteous, that our souls are demented by sin, and that the only hope is in Jesus Christ, in which we can find shelter from the storm today. God's will is for men and women to repent and be saved. As Paul teaches, He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's stated will for you today. Repent, come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, though there's these three friends here, you know, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they're terrible encouragers. Look, their decision to stop speaking to Job was not motivated just by their lack of godly wisdom, but because Job had arrived at an inaccurate conclusion. His own competence. Job just came to the conclusion that he was good. Despite what God says, despite what he teaches, despite what's abundantly clear in the lives of men, Job decided that he was good. And in reality, Job was a sinner. As Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Look, this teaching includes Job. There's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Not one. Humans can be, listen, they can be both sinful and have integrity and peaceful intentions. I think the problem here that I'm trying to, to elaborate upon is this. Is that there are a lot of people out there who on the outside look like they've got everything together. 
and on the inside they're a raging torrent. They are good at hiding it. If there's one problem within the Southern Baptist Church, uh, in all churches of all kinds, that I think is the most insidious, is that whether we like it or not, you can pretend to be one of us, can't you? You can write the right check, and you can stand up when you're supposed to stand up, and you can sit down when you're supposed to sit down, and you can raise holy hands, you can do all these things, and you can look like you know what you're doing, but on the inside it can be hollow and dead. On the inside, hollow and dead. See, Job was in danger of being that man. He looked so good on the outside. And he was rejecting the idea that the inside was rotten. Everything looked fine. But inside was a whirlwind. Two. Job read the word, but he failed to understand it. He spoke the word, but remained deaf to its power. Look, the tragedy of Job's plight is found in his words. He speaks in the focal passage truth which should have guided him through suffering but instead becomes an accusation against him. I think that's the problem with preaching and the problem with listening. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? Is that I'm not saying I always get it right, but Miss Karen, sometimes I get it right in voice, but my life doesn't measure up to it. Oftentimes. And sometimes you guys sit out there and you hear, and I'm absolutely right in what I say, but because you sit there and you just listen to it and you act like it was nothing, then guess what? God walks out and now you're accused. We act sometimes like sitting and preaching is just nothing. It's all about us or all about nothing. But when the word of God is stated in front of us and we don't act on it, then what in the world is he supposed to do? What was supposed to bless us is now an accusation against us, isn't it? He can now look and say, but you heard what was said. It was right there in front of you. So the last thing we can do is I can preach idly or you listen idly. The last thing that can happen. Job speaks in an idle way. As if it doesn't matter. Well, I think we probably just need to get down and listen to what he says. But just, just a moment. You know, these words are accusations as we listen and as I preach the gospel. He speaks the truth. He said, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. So now, for all of us in this room right now, the answer to every problem that we have, every problem within our lives, every problem within our spirit right now, is stated in the Word of God. That's the answer. Where's the answer? The Word of God. Where do we look? Look toward God every time. He says, I've treasured the words of His mouth more than my portion of food. He loved the Word more than food. Look, in suffering... Treasure the Word of God more than you do any essential of life. Here's the thing. When we start to suffer, it should draw us closer to God's Word. Read it more intensely. Be a person whose faith is born of the hardness of suffering, of challenge. You'll realize the greatness of God through suffering. Job has experienced a problem which is common to us all. Now, here's the issue. He was reading the Word and marveling at its power. There's no doubt. He talks about how great it is. He's going to share in the next point, the last point, just the greatness of God. It's a beautiful way of stating it. But he was marveling in his power, but he was not really listening to God. We talked about this before. If there is one issue that we really face today, it's not just 
brothers and sisters, the fact that we don't pray enough is that we pray bad. We pray with an answer in mind ahead of time. And we don't listen for God to differ. How many people do I know in this world who have told me, but God told me this was the right thing and it was absolutely forbidden by the Scriptures? My goodness, a man who I greatly respect one time looked at me in the face and said, but God just wants me to be happy. It is a bald-faced lie. It's a condemnable statement. I fear for that man's soul. Because he was trouncing on the Word of God to do what he wanted to do. As if God had not spoken. Because see, here's the thing. We'll just cry to God, God, please tell me, please tell me, please tell me. And He speaks and we refuse to hear. If there's a common issue that we face, it is that we cry to Jesus in our turmoil, but we fail to hear when He brings wisdom to our lives. Now listen, I think there are two reasons why. Either we want to continue to suffer as confused martyrs. I think there are a lot of people in this world and within the Christian faith, within the church, who just want to suffer more. Job's that guy. He wants to keep on suffering. You know why? Because he wants God to feel bad about it. How, how dare God do this to me? Man, I'll get God. God. God's not your mama. Your mama will feel bad when you deserve it. He's not your daddy. He'll feel bad when you get what you deserve. God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. He wasn't going to suffer by the will of God and have God's heart break for him. Sometimes we've already determined a way forward. The will of Christ can oppose this direction. And we are best served by listening without hearing. Now that's one I do, and I think we've all practiced this, haven't we? Ever had somebody come up to you and talk to you, and you're, you're listening to them, but you're not really hearing what they're saying? You've already moved on in your life? Everybody in this room has done that at least once. We just didn't bother. We didn't slow down to listen. We didn't, we didn't want to hear what they had to say. What they had to say was in opposition to what we had already decided we were going to do. And I think in, in some way or fashion, all of us have probably done God exactly like that, haven't we? He's speaking boldly, and we're refusing to listen. Now, in this, we neglect the power of change in our lives. Prayer and the leadership of the Holy Spirit change us. The Word, look... The Word. The Word is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If Job's really dedicated to the Word, listen to the Word. And this is why we are not ashamed of it. The Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and a spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word is like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Job was not powerless, but instead he was armed with, a great, with the Word of God, imbued with the greatest power that the world has ever seen. These words aren't idle. The Gospel's not idle. The Gospel's not powerless, but it's powerful. It literally changes lives. Words. Not just some miraculous deed that we can see, but the miracle that occurs in the human heart. Paul described it this way in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but a divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what the gospel does. The gospel can reach inside your heart and your life and literally take every thought captive. Thoughts that were wayward and destructive, God will own. It won't just uproot trees or tear mountains up and cast them in the ocean. But literally, the power of God expressed through the Word of God will do what? It will tear down the stronghold in your life. Absolutely do that. Our strength can, re- our strength can reveal our hearts. The fact that we are cautious about embracing the will of God as expressed through His Word does what? It reveals something about us. Our hearts, whatever confronts, whatever binds, whatever sickens or tempts you today, can and will be thrown down and dismantled by the powerful Word of God. The Bible is not just a book. The Gospel is not just words. It is power. It is power. Three, finally. God is not like us, therefore He's capable of healing our problems. The, The final verse tells us this, but He is unchangeable and who can turn... Him back. What He desires, that He does. Job knew this intellectually, but he had not embraced it spiritually. He reminds us those three attributes, or three of the many, but He's immutable. God is unchanging. The very same God that Job prayed to is the very same God that we pray to. And He has not grown the tiniest bit. He is immutable. He is all-powerful. God can literally do anything. And He's willful. God has a will and a desire and He will do that. He has plans and a design for our lives. Look, of the plans of God, David declares this, is I will proclaim and tell of them if they are more than can be told. God's plans are bigger than we can tell people about. However, people at heart are all disastrously broken and epically flawed. Now we need to embrace that. Just how messed up we are, folks, and how messed up we continue to be. Look, Elihu, this young, you know, in the little drama that Job's got going on, this young guy shows up and he sort of listens patiently to them, and then he gets to a point where he can't listen anymore. And they're all way older than him, and they're all way wrong. He doesn't see one guy who's right and three guys that are wrong. Elihu comes upon four guys who are absolutely wrong in everything they think. He says this to confront Job. He says, Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Job had forgotten that. He had forgotten the fact that God is greater than man. The point Job missed is simple and often forgotten by the hearts of believers in turmoil. Jesus is greater than any man and all man, and He rightly does what is best for us even when we suffer. What He desires, that He does. So that your suffering isn't wrong or a betrayal, but it is absolutely right because God is greater than us. His way of thinking is higher than ours and He has chosen a path that is absolutely right and good for the kingdom. We do not worship an exalted person. The lost do not cry out to a mere man. But as Isaiah writes in Isaiah 40, 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
Many false religions emphasize the worship of men who become godlike in their attributes and ascended to the heavens. As Christians, we worship the everlasting Creator God who descended and became human in His facets so that we could reach heaven. So instead of God rising, God came down so we can rise. Jesus teaches us this truth in John 6, 38-40. I've come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. The central mission for each of us, if we suffer, or if now is a momentary respite from suffering, is to submit ourselves to the will of God that Christ came to enact on the world. If you've got one mission today, believer, is to be completely submitted to the will of God. A very simple idea, and we almost never do it, do we? Really submit to God today. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has heard your cries. And He's drawn you now... It is imperative that you hear his words through Peter, which say, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So when God called you to himself in righteousness, when you were born again to new life, he did this not just so you could live your way, he did this so that you could follow in His steps. Today, you and I must follow in the steps of Jesus. Read the Word. Pray passionately to the Lord. Listen when He responds. Put your will aside and let faith lead your life. That's right. God has a path forward for you. God has a will and a design and a way for you. And I'll be honest with you, it probably doesn't agree with what you want to do. Mine didn't with me. I felt called to the preaching ministry at 12. And I resisted for 20 years almost. This wasn't my plan. I wanted to do everything else in the world but this. Like Paul, woe is me if I don't preach. And I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm saying I had no path forward. Don't you think that it's just for preachers or just for missionaries or just for evangelists or just for deacons? That's a lie. God's got a plan and a purpose for your little old life and He intends for it to be lived for Him and not for you. And He doesn't take no for an answer. He intends to live through you and use you. Put your life aside. Put your will aside. And let faith lead you. Wherever God's path goes, it's where we as a church must travel. It's not about you. It never has been. It's not about me and it never has been. It's always been about Him. And then finally, for those without Christ, those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, His will is simple. Repent and believe the gospel. Everything that is said in the Bible about salvation boils down to those two aspects. Repent of your sins, believe the gospel. Don't delay. The Lord of all creation, the very definition of power, love, and justice, demands that you surrender to Him today. You cannot turn your back on this truth. 
This is the truth upon which we will all be judged, whether we have successfully repented of our sins and believed the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you and I praise you, Father. And I ask you, please, God, to continue to bless us. Bless this church, Father God. Lead us, Father, so that we can all surrender ourselves to you, Father. In the name of Christ, I pray.